Um, my name is Chris Vlaming. I'm one of the elders here at Harvest. And uh, my wife was doing announcements this morning, and she mentioned the sunflower. Now, it, it is legendary. It is legendary. Something that started to grow without us planting any seeds, and it's about the size of a man, and it's in the middle of my driveway. So, and she wants to harvest the seeds, so we're going to let her. Um, well, it's been quite a week for me. Uh, I've been prepping for the sermon for a few weeks now. Uh, we woke up on Monday morning. Uh, my son uh, was sick. He was running a fever of 101. Um, we took him to the doctor on Monday afternoon um, and stayed there into the early evening. Uh, find out, finding out that he has strep throat. Right. Not something you want in your house the week that you're supposed to uh, preach. And so, um, uh, and so, and then Wednesday comes along, um, praying that the sickness would stay away from my daughter um, and me, of course. But, um, you know, and then Wednesday comes along, my daughter gets a temperature of 101. Now, she didn't get strep throat, um, but she stayed sick throughout the week. And so, it has been quite the week. I was living in a bubble uh, most of the week at my house. That's a joke. Have you ever seen Seinfeld, there's Bubble Boy? Well, that was me. Um, no, I, I spent as much time away uh, at work as I possibly could. So. But anyway, uh, God is good, and I am well. Amen? Um, and even if I wasn't well, God is good. Um, well, I'm honored to be able to proclaim the gospel to you this morning uh, through God's word. And, and I, I'm, I'm blessed, as I'm sure a lot of you are, um, that we have a pastor and Pastor Keith, um, that we can send outside the walls of, these chur- of this church um, to teach, to reproof, correct, and to train men in righteousness. We should feel encouraged and honored and blessed to be able to have a pastor that, that we can do that. Um, and so uh, we're going to pray for him this morning um, as we get into it. Um, well, if you want to open up your Bibles, that'd be a good thing. We're going to be in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Verses 11 and 12. Uh, If you don't have a Bible or forgot to bring yours, um, there's a black hardcover ESV underneath the seat in front of you. Um, I recommend using that and not the red one. It's still the Word of God, but it's not going to be our translation. So, Um, If you don't have a Bible of your own, that is a gift to you. So you can can, uh, take that with you. Well, let's turn to... um, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. I brought my big Bible this morning, so you know I mean business. Just kidding. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. Uh, we're going to read this, and we're going to open up with prayer, and I'm going to ask God to help me speak. Um, now, this is Paul's prayer at the end of the second letter, the first part of the second letter to the church of the Thessalonians, and as Paul does very well, and we should all try to model after, he prays with passion for the people of God. Um, and so let's, let's turn to the word. He says, to this end we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling, and may fulfill every resolve for good, and every work of faith by his power. So that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you, and you in him, according to the grace of our God 
and the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we ask you to be with us this morning as we open up your word. And uh, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would, um, would convict us, Lord, and of some of the difficult things we're going to talk about this morning. Um, Lord, we pray that you would help you would help us, Lord, as things begin to get difficult, as we talk about some uncomfortable things, that you would remind us that it's better to have truth than it is our own desires. And so, Lord, we ask you to be with us this morning. We pray for Pastor Keith as he um, is, is training men in righteousness, and he's at a men's retreat, Lord, and he's teaching that you would be with him also. Um, Lord, we pray for my family that is getting over sickness and any of those who are sick. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, well, the first thing we should do is stop and look back, right? Paul's first three words in um, this verse is to this end, if you have an ESV. And if you have an NIV, I actually think it reads a little bit better. It says, it actually reads with this in mind. Um, so Paul is pointing us back to verses 3 through 10 of chapter 1. And so what I want to do is ask that question before we get into the difficult stuff of with what in mind. So if we turn to 2 Thessalonians, we're going to start reading in verse 1, and we're going to go all the way to verse 10. Wow, that was feedback. Um, and here we go. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians. In God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus. One thing you should notice when you're reading the Bible here is that Paul is kind of, he's identifying himself as the author. He warns us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2, he warns against the letters that, did not, that claim to come from him, but that do not. And so you'll see all the epistles that Paul writes he identifies himself in them. And so that's important to, to note as well. Verse 3, We are always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and the afflictions that you are enduring. This is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted, as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. And then there's the prayer. To this end we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling, may fulfill every resolve for good, and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus. 
One of, th- one of the things I think is important here is, to, is before we get into some of the more difficult things is who were the Thessalonians? Um, this is not some random letter that Paul decided to write to a church that he's heard about across town that are going through some difficulty. This is a church that Paul himself labored over. Okay? At, the, at the beginning of Paul's second missionary journey, Timothy, Silvanus, who is Silas, and Paul... They go to Thessalonica to plant a church, and they live among them. And you notice what they do here is they do what should every church should be doing, right? If, you're, if we're a church that is just about the numbers, that is just about getting converts or being seeker-sensitive, and we're not discipling people, we're not teaching them or training them, it's not a biblical church, if all you care about is the number. So this is Paul. He's following the great commission of Jesus, right? Go make disciples. And Paul and Timothy and Silas, they live among the church of the Thessalonians. They live among them so they can imitate how they lived, so they, can, so they could train them in the way that, they should, the way that things should go. Um, and so all throughout the first letter, we see this affectionate tone from the church of the Thessalonians to Paul Timothy and Silas. If we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, and some of these, if you want to follow me along, you can, but it should be up there. Um, it says, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Paul could confidently say that he lived among them. Right? So Paul, Silas, and Timothy went to Thessalonica, to live among them. We see in Acts chapter 17, very briefly, that they, they were forced to leave before they actually wanted to. There was so much persecution and so much um, sufferings and affliction upon them that they were forced to leave by some of the leaders of, of the community. Um, this is when Paul goes to Athens and Silas and Timothy stay, stay behind. Um, but they were forced to leave um, before they even wanted to. So, so Paul writes this letter to them, and as he finishes, he leaves us with a very powerful reminder. Paul recognizes that the persecutions and the afflictions that the church of the Thessalonians are going through must be difficult. He boasts about their steadfastness and faith in these times. He goes on in verse 3 to tell them that the sufferings and afflictions are from God and, and is the evidence that God is making them worthy. As he continued, as we continue to read verses 5 through 10, Paul gives them the good news, right? That there is a day coming when Jesus Christ will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. Um, And on that day, he will grant relief to you who are afflicted and repay with affliction those who afflict you. If somebody is afflicting you, be assured that it's not your responsibility. To, to repay them with vengeance. Vengeance is the Lord's. Um, Matthew Henry says it best in his commentary on 2 Thessalonians. He says, Believing thoughts and expectations of the second coming of Christ should lead us to God more, to, to lead us to pray to God more for ourselves and others. If we could live today as if Christ was coming today, how much more would we worship him? How much more passion would we pray to our Creator. Um, if you're a believer in this room this morning, 
then you can testify that life is just as hard before you became a believer as it is after. And anyone who tells you different, well, they're either a liar or they haven't reached puberty. And I know that because I have children, <laughs> right? My four-year-old son could tell, could, could tell you that life is difficult. You should see him when he has to turn off the Wii <laughs> or when he's asked to pick up his room, right? Life is difficult um, in those times. But the hope we have in Christ, that he died for our sins and was buried raised from the dead according to the scriptures, knowing that one day Jesus Christ will appear from heaven with his angels in flaming fire, should cause us to pray to God more for ourselves and for others. I had the great privilege of traveling to the Ligonier Conference this fall with some men here at Harvest, um, and it was such a great time. We, we had one of the speakers, one of the, the preachers there, his name was Burke Parsons, um, he talked, about, um, he talked about Charles Spurgeon, and this is what he said. He said, I love to hear stories about our faithful forefathers. It's in ages past, and while it may be more legend, mere legend, I have heard that, great 19, that, that the great 19th century British pastor Charles Spurgeon posted a sign on the door of his study. Each time he passed through the door of his study, he could not avoid seeing this sign, which read, perhaps today. It was his way of reminding himself that Jesus could return any day. So Spurgeon lived, prayed, and preached eagerly and expectingly, as we all should do. Now going forward to verses 11 and 12, Paul is passionately praying that our God may make you worthy of his calling. Now the first thing I want you to notice here this morning, what it doesn't say. And this is important. I want us to get this. It doesn't say that you may make you worthy of his calling. It doesn't say that your pastor may make you worthy of his calling. And I know right out of the gate that some of you are already uncomfortable. The very thought that Paul is not saying that you may make you worthy of his calling is uncomfortable. As a society, we've been brainwashed by the self-help movement, haven't we? The self-help market in the United States will gross over $13 billion this year alone. And that's conservative estimates. <clears throat> we can't fathom not fixing it, right? Not making things better. The largest section in Barnes & Nobles is what? Self-help. Exactly. We, we can't wait to hear what words of wisdom Oprah will tell us. Right? All the ladies are like, you heard that. <clears throat> we have things coming in our head already as, as, as I'm preaching to you. Well, Chris, God helps those who help themselves. Right? Surprise, surprise. That's not in the Bible. So, but I want to say this. Paul's not talking about moving furniture. Right? He's not talking about uh, finding a job or trying to figure out what, what class I'm going to take next for college or, or, or a major or minor. He's not talking about that. He's talking about God's calling. Something that was, brought, that was bought with a price. Amen? The blood of Jesus. God 
helps the helpless. God helps the helpless. It says that our God may make you worthy of his calling. Now, if we are honest here this morning, we would admit that the majority of the time we don't think about God's sovereignty in our lives. I would even go so far to say is we don't want to think about it. It's uncomfortable, right? And Pastor Keith has done a great job um, in helping us get words like election and predestination, adoption, inheritance, forgiveness, knowledge, these words into our everyday thoughts, but it's still difficult to understand. And praise God for Simon Peter. Um, This is somebody that walked with our Lord Jesus, right? Jesus said, and on him I will build my church. And in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 through 16, he goes on to say, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. Right? So, even Peter, someone that walked with the Lord, thinks Paul's writings are hard to understand. So as we go through them this morning, um, you know, don't just kind of ignore, the, ignore it just because it's hard to understand. Um, it doesn't make it not true. So let's look at God's sovereignty in the scriptures very briefly. Psalm chapter 115, Psalm 115 chapter 3, a verse that you will not see on a bumper sticker, although it would be really cool to have one if you guys want to make one for me. Gift, (laughs) Christmas. Um, Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. It speaks for itself. Proverbs 16, 1 through 4, and verse 1, the plans of a heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. In verse 4, the Lord has made everything for its purpose, and here's a difficult verse, even the wicked for the day of trouble. One of my favorite passages in the Bible, Acts chapter 17, verse 24 through 27. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. And this, this, is, this is one of my favorite verses. Having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Now, did you guys get that? You might think you live in Salisbury because you chose to live here. You might think you go to Salisbury University because this is the college of your choice. You might even think that the neighborhood in which you're living is something that you chose. But the Bible just said that God determined the boundaries of your dwelling place. Why? That you should seek God 
in the hope that you might feel your way toward him and find him. Amen. That our God may make you worthy of his calling. What is this calling that God may make you worthy of? The word calling is found 11 times in the New Testament, each of them referring to an action that God, not us, that God takes to summon or beckon people to himself. So how does he call? His calling happens in all sorts of ways. Saul was walking on the side of the road after watching Stephen get stoned to death and approving of his execution. After that, going from house to house, dragging men and women out of their homes, persecuting Christians, and he decides to take a walk to Damascus to keep this going because he loves his job. He loves persecuting Christians. Jesus shows up on the road to Damascus and Saul believed. He believed. Some of us, it was that quick. Jesus revealed himself and you believed, right? You were born right out of the womb and you, you believed. Some of you, it has taken a while. You've had bad experiences in church growing up that has created a ton of baggage. And at a moment that you didn't expect, you believed. And you can read what happened to you in that moment when you believed in Ephesians 1, 17 through 18. Follow along with me. This is what happens when you believe. So powerful. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So that ha- that's what happens when we believe, right? Our, the, God gives us a spirit of wisdom. In the eyes of our heart, they're open to him. It's not something that, 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 that you're choosing to do. God gives it to you. Now, some of you are still walking away from God. And some are running. But you know he's beckoning you. You know he's calling you. And I, news for you. And I want you to listen to this. You will not outrun God. If God has elected you, if he has predestined you, he will call you. He will summon you to himself. He will justify you and he will sanctify you. And when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, he will do what? He will glorify you. Romans 11.29 For the gifts and the calling of God is irrevocable. His calling can't be undone. It's irrevocable. Amen? So what is Paul talking about when he says, make you worthy? 
we get a glimpse in verses 3 through 5. Verse 3, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. The church of the Thessalonians were well-known, were well-known model to all believers in the area. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, when they planted the church, they came across opposition, affliction, and suffering. And we see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6 through 8, reads this way, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. I think that's how you pronounce Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. That's powerful. That's powerful. Um, To be able to plan a church, God use you to call people to himself and to be able to train them in such a way that they don't need you anymore. And, that, and that's, that's, that's the goal here for the elders at Harvest. We want, to see people, we want to see people come to know Christ. We want to disciple you so that at, at some point you can go tell people about Christ. You can teach them about Jesus, right? And so that someday, someday you're not going to need Pastor Keith. You're not going to need the elders or, or whoever else is, is teaching you here. Um, So verse 4, let's move on. Therefore we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith and all your persecutions and the afflictions that you are enduring. This is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. I've never drank this much water in my life. So how is God counting them worthy or making them worthy. I want you to see this. This is so important because we have a tendency to ignore passages like this. It's not trendy. It's not well-liked. So we, generally we just kind of breeze over it if we're reading our Bible at all. Um, the Bible just said that Paul, Silas, and Timothy boast about the believers in Thessalonica for their faith and steadfastness, their dedication, their persistence, and all their persecutions and afflictions. Afflictions can be defined as suffering, difficulty, burden, hardship, or pain. And what we want to do here is take away from the weight of that in the Bible. We want to take away from the scriptures there because we can't fathom a God counting us worthy by allowing us to go through suffering, hardship, or difficulty. Right? I mean, it's paraded all across Christian television. I'm not going to name names. But one of the most damaging heresies in our world today is the prosperity gospel. That if you are faithful and obey God's word, he will make you healthy and wealthy. Just a quick note. If you have to add any word to the gospel, it's not the gospel anymore. 
But it's really very silly, though, isn't it? If that were true, then John the Baptist would be out. No one was greater than John. Luke records in chapter 7, verse 28, I believe. So we can correctly assume that he was faithful and obedient, right? He was also homeless. He ate locusts and wild honey, and we know it didn't end well for him. He was beheaded in prison. His head was put on a platter, brought up to Herod's birthday party for everybody to see. By the world's standards, there's nothing healthy or wealthy in that. Who else would be out? How about all of the apostles? It's amazing that they must not even read the New Testament. These, these, these heretics must not even read the New Testament. All the apostles, we know from church history and the Bible that eight out of the twelve apostles died as martyrs. Where is the prosperity gospel in that? And last but not least, who else would be out? Jesus would be. So you see, it's, it's ridiculous. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, that through faith some conquered kingdoms, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, were made strong out of weakness, and some through faith were stoned, sawn in two, killed by the sword, afflicted and mistreated. The church of the Thessalonians were enduring suffering, hardship, and difficulty, not because they didn't have enough faith or because they weren't obedient. They were a well-known model to the churches all around Macedonia because of their faith, because of their steadfastness, but because God considered them worthy of the kingdom of God. That should comfort us. It should encourage us. And it should make some of us uncomfortable. Because difficulty and hardships are relevant to our lives. Amen? And if you haven't had difficulty and hardships in your life, it's coming for you. We are wasting away. And we are waiting for that day. So praise God through it that he would count you worthy of the kingdom of God. John Piper, there's a great quote by John Piper. He said, God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him in the midst of loss, not prosperity. Amen? As we go on. A, and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. Now, as we can see, God is still the one doing it. This is one long sentence. So Paul is praying that our God may fulfill every resolve for good. This word resolve, and I'm not a Greek scholar, praise the Lord our pastor is, but this word resolve, eudokia, is translated, in, literally translated, into good desire. It's used 
nine times in the New Testament, and seven out of the nine times refer to God's desire or his purpose for his people, not humans. And so our, our text is referring to our desires. We see in Luke chapter 2, verse 14, we got it? It's, this is going to excite everybody. It's the Christmas story. I know. For those of you who had your lights on all year long, light, lights up all year long and your Christmas trees are still there, this is for you. Um, an angel appeared to the shepherds out in the field to declare that a Savior would be born in the city of David, who is Christ the Lord. A multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, and this is verse 14, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So there is that word, resolve, whom he is pleased. It stands for God's good intention or, or God's purpose for his people. Now why is that important? Well, we want to do what we can to pull out the original, the, the meaning of what Paul is trying to say in the text and not create these, these stories and these myths to try to draw our own conclusion and our meaning into text. Amen? We don't want to wander off into myths. We want to get exactly what Paul is trying to say to us here. Um, so Paul is praying for the good desire of humans, us. That's you and me, right? Uh, Romans chapter 10, 1 is the second time in the New Testament this word is used referring to our desires, not God's. And it says, Brothers, my heart's desire, there it is, and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. This is Paul's desire here for the salvation of the Jews. His desire. And that's a good, that's a good desire. So our text is referring to our desire. Now let's not confuse what God would consider as good desire and what we would consider as good desire. We have desires that are not good, right? Don't we? Andy Rooney, through his many, wears, many years of wit and wisdom, spoke briefly on human desire. He said, It seems as though the one serious and constant defect in the human character is desire. We have more desire for almost everything than we need. Many of us can't stay away from the stores where we bought stuff. I did, did I look at my wife? I'm sorry. Forgive me, Lord. Um, he goes on to say, maybe what some of us need from the medical profession is an anti-desire pill. If we could just take this pill and it would hopefully kill the desire for whatever it is that we didn't need. Let's get our wisdom from the Bible, shall we? Mark gives us, not Mark Swope, but Mark gives us insight into what comes out of the heart of a man and the desires that are in us that are not good. Mark chapter 7, verse 21 through 23 reads like this. For from within, out of the heart of a man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. And all these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Now, we have to take a journey here all the way back to the beginning if we're going to really understand this. 
It's because of the fall of man that sin enters the world and fractures everything that God made to be perfect. So much so that God regrets that he even made man. God tells Abram that he will make a people and out of this group of people he will raise up a Messiah to deliver them from what broke everything. Sin. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, lived a perfect life without blemish, spotless, righteous. And he will give his righteousness to those who believe, whom he has elected, predestined, and is calling. God pours out his wrath toward the sin of the world on Jesus at the cross. So Jesus takes our punishment and he gives us his righteousness. So God sees you as spotless, holy, without blemish in his sight. We stand before God because of Christ. Amen? Peter tells us that we were conformed to the passions of our ignorance. Romans chapter 3 is a little more direct when Paul talks about our condition. He says that no one is righteous. We have this desire that comes from within us, and it is not good. And this is not the desire that Paul is praying about here. So where do we as believers get this desire that is good? We see in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 through 25, that Paul is pleading with us to walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Peter pleads with us in 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16. We've already read this, but he's pleading with us to live holy. So if no one is righteous, if our desires and passions are not good, then how do we get what Paul is describing as good desire? Luke chapter 3, verse 16. This is, I, I just have to turn, this is an amazing, the first part of this is amazing. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read verse 15 as well because I, I love it. Um, if you didn't catch it, you'll love it too. If you didn't love it, it's okay, I'm going to read it anyway. Um, let's see here. Luke chapter 3, verse 15. As the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, and this is John the Baptist, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is, strap, is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. And here it is. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is, is in his hand to clear his threshold, threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. The shaft he will burn with unquenchable fire. Hopefully I pronounced that right. 2 Corinthians, why I think that's really cool, I guess if I'm going to bring you there, I might as well tell you. Um, is the, the, if you read, they're, they're questioning within their hearts. They're not saying it out loud, right? And the Holy Spirit, right, is, is, is discerning, is, is, is giving John this discerning spirit and telling them what they're thinking. And it's just an awesome part of Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 
Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? So when God calls you to himself and gives you the faith to believe, Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit will dwell in you. The Holy Spirit is where we get these good desires from. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. For freedom, Christ has set us free. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If you are a believer and you're still living in the passions of your ignorance, it's like slapping God in the face. Your desires and your passions were crucified at the cross with Christ. And if you're still living in them, you're either slapping God in the face or you're not saved. And that's something we should be very, very careful about. So what are some things we can get here? Application. Pray that God will help you discern what is, what is a good desire and what is bad. If your desires don't line up with God's holy word, then it's not good. Amen? Desire to appear godly, to sit in the good seats at church and mingle with the in crowd, but you have no intention of submitting to God, no intention of leading your families, no intention of obeying the gospel of our Lord Jesus. A desire for justice. You have a cause that is right and just, but your desire for justice blinds you of the grace of God toward others. Amen. And every work of faith by his power. I love this text. Um, I hope we're getting it that Jesus is the founder. He's the perfecter of our faith. Faith is from God, and there's nothing we can do to acquire it. The definition of faith is found in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Ephesians 2, verse 8-10 through 10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. For we are the workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now we know that the Bible makes a distinction between work and faith. Works and faith. Faith is not a result of works Works are a result of faith. We are his workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works. And he requires us to walk in them. This is what it looks like to obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Amen? And as we close, I want to look back to verses 5 through 10. If the band want to get, wants to come up and get ready. Um, Looking back to verses 5 through 10, Paul gives them good news. That there is a day coming when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. And on that day he will grant relief to you who are afflicted and repay with affliction those who afflict you. He goes on to say in verse 8 through 10, and this is so important, I want you to get this as we close. 
in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might, when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed. You guys, did you get that? I know we're coming to a close. I want you to stay with me. Inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. There are so-called brothers in churches all across the world, and statistics will tell us, even in this very room this morning, that know God, but do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Paul just said they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord Jesus. Now I want to pray with you before we close this morning. You all want to stand up? Or we're going to get ready to close. Um, I want to pray with you this morning. If you would like to come forward and use the steps and, and kneel before God, then, then you're welcome to. Or if you would like to come up here for prayer specifically, I want to pray for you. Um, but some of you who are believers have gone through some real difficulty and pain. And you may have thought that God was unhappy with you or that you didn't, or that you did something to anger him. I want, to, I want to come alongside you this morning and pray that God would remind you that he just might be making you worthy of the kingdom of God. And some of you, God has been calling for a long time. He has been summoning you to himself, but you've been running away from him. My plead with you this morning is to stop playing games. Stop running Allow God to give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, so that you will not live in the passions of your ignorance anymore. Allow God to do that. Let's close in prayer. Father God, we, we praise you, uh, Lord, for your word. And, and although things are difficult, Lord, in, in, in your scriptures, we, we pray that, that the truth um, will set us free. We pray that you would uh, remind us that the difficulty and the, uh, the hardships and the pain that we're going through um, just might be you making us worthy. We pray that you would help us discern what is a good desire and what is not, Lord. And we, and we pray that you would give us the power by your Holy Spirit to obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Lord, we thank you that there is a day coming when the Lord Jesus will come, will appear with his mighty angels in flaming fire, Lord. Lord, there's a day coming when we're going to be able to walk down the streets of gold with our brother Jim Dean and worship God with him. There's a day coming when we're going to walk with our brother Don and praise God with him. Lord, there's a day coming when there's going to be no weeping, no pain, no sickness. And we're going to be worshiping you for eternity. 
We praise you, Lord, for those things. And we ask you to be with us as we depart from this place. In Jesus' name, amen.